Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your day with us. At Single Lady Estates, we look at the entire home ownership life cycle to bring a new perspective to the homeowner experience, especially for women. We look at buying, selling, and life in between. So today, we are really excited to have Wendy Ross with us to speak on how she, as a real estate broker, has redefined the buying and selling experience and created a new realty business model tailored to individuals' needs with her own company, Veracity Real Estate Company. Wendy created Veracity after decades of working in a variety of real estate brokerages in Silicon Valley and Orange County, California. She has focused on investment and high-end properties throughout her career yet, and this is what really caught my attention, she created her own company to serve people at all price levels within high-cost luxury markets. She also developed a more data-driven advisory for real estate investors, whom she also serves throughout the world. Last year, Wendy was a Resilience Award finalist for the National Women of Influence Awards. We are really happy to have you here, Wendy. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is a delight to be here. It thrills me to collaborate with other driven, intentional businesswomen. I really applaud women that have been in the trenches and discover a more humane way to serve their clients effectively. Can you give us an overview on your career path and what led you to start Veracity? You know, it's a long story and humane is not a word that I would have thought to use to describe my business but it's magic, Bobby. I love it. Uh, Yes, I saw a more reasonable, practical, and respectful way to operate after many, many years witnessing things that I just never wanted to repeat myself. And it started back when I was entering college. My best friend got me a job interview at a Century 21 office in Santa Clara, which is in the heart of Silicon Valley, which is where I grew up. And it was the most entry-level position possible. I updated the MLS, which back then was a physical book, you know, I'd call people and see if listings were still open. I photocopied the thermal paper faxes for agents so the ink wouldn't disappear. And soon I began assembling the documents necessary to open escrow when a sale had been consummated. So I learned really fundamental things back then, sort of an old school way. And apparently what I did there, I did well enough because the escrow company that I kept taking these new files to hired me to liaise with all their other big mortgage and real estate accounts because they loved how efficiently things were suddenly operating. So They hired me, I liaised with all of their big accounts, and I must have done a good job there as well because then I got recruited by a big wholesale lending bank. And that bank asked me to do the very same thing to liaise with their key mortgage broker accounts. So you can kind of see how this took me from very foundational experience to learning deep insights about how this whole process works, truly from the ground up. Oh, excellent. You've worked in two well-known, really storied markets in California, Silicon Valley and Orange County. Could you compare and contrast each market? That is such an enormous question. And first, you know, I need to qualify this by saying I haven't been working in the Silicon Valley market for a couple of decades now. So probably things have changed in my absence in terms of business culture. But I do have friends and family up there, and I do get up there fairly often. So I have a sense of what continues to occur. And I'd say the biggest number one difference is the clients themselves. The vast majority of people up north work in technology or you know, in some way related to technology. So that type of client doesn't usually take fluffy, non-specific answers to their questions very well, nor do they tolerate illiteracy or ignorance of cultural niceties. 
So for example, you'd better receive a business card from an Asian client using two hands and spend a moment looking at it. And if not, you're going to offend them. So that type of nuance really matters up there. Down in Orange County, you know, I'd have to say that that is less of an issue. Up north, spitballing an opinion about the state of the market without having done your homework is also going to be the kiss of death. So these are people who digest and process copious amounts of data on the daily. So they'll know when you're guessing and it's not going to work. Most significantly in Silicon Valley, what you know is often more important than who you know. And again, in Orange County, it couldn't be more opposite. Down here, it really truly is who you know. And what you know, sadly, oftentimes is kind of unimportant. So I'm a total outlier down here. I'm a nerd to the millionth degree. I study market data. I study local history, current politics, everything that my clients may want to know about making well-informed decisions here. And that's a big part of why my company is so very different. That's fascinating. I actually also grew up in the Silicon Valley. And one thing living in Southern California now that I notice just from a consumer perspective is in Silicon Valley, public schools are really good. And in Southern California, and I'm clearly being very general, most people live in areas where either they want to go to a private school or charter schools. And I was kind of curious, what's the realtor perspective of that? And does that still hold? (laughs) Oh my goodness. It totally does. And it's so nice to hear someone else say that because I don't want to sound like this Northern California snob, but my direct experience is exactly that. The public schools were better, although for a period I did go to private school up there. But down here, I have to navigate that issue as a real estate professional with a great deal of delicacy. We're blessed in that the Irvine Unified School District, which is a big part of the central part of the county, is very good. And the Newport Mesa School District is also really good mostly. So there are only about 40 to 50% of the markets where we have to talk about, frankly, are there going to be kids and what are the schools like? And if this is an investment, let's bear in mind that the quality of the schools does dictate your future income potential, those types of things. Interesting. Let's shift gears a little bit. Could you provide a snapshot of the luxury real estate market and whether it is impacting less expensive markets? And what are you seeing from international investors who want to buy in Southern California? Well, COVID certainly turned our market upside down. We've sold four times as many super luxury homes. And by that, I mean those priced at or above $5 million than ever, as in ever. So we would normally sell between 18 to 20 a month during peak summer months, and we're selling 65 to 75 a month. It's nuts. So, Oh my God. Yeah. There is a healthy mix of domestic and foreign investors in this price range. And I think it's because everybody was panicking and escaping COVID and going to the ocean. And since we've, you know, we're mostly a coastal county like Los Angeles County, where we hug the coast and we have four harbor communities, we got a lot of attention from all those people who went out and bought yachts to like literally ride out the COVID storm, right? So this buoying, if you will, this inflation of the median price, because when you sell exponentially more of the highest priced homes, it lifts the median price a little bit. And it created a bit of, I think, false sense that the middle markets were also rising, which promoted people to flock into that market as well. So the drama of the moment caused the reality to be so. So prices did end up escalating everywhere. And the super, super low interest rates, I think, made people who are now remotely working in LA, inland counties realize, hey, wait, I can buy a home at the beach. 
So we had a whole lot of focus on us that we didn't see was mirrored in LA, San Diego, or internal Riverside and San Bernardino counties. So we really did have the ocean was lifting all ships here, so to speak. And what I found interesting was that we had fewer international investors than we normally would in a typical market. And primarily, we had fewer Chinese investors. And I think it's because they just had a harder time physically getting out of the country to get here. And they had a much more difficult time getting their money out of the country. So we had more domestic investors at all price points here. My biggest investor over the years is this wonderful Australian woman you would love. And she didn't invest in our market during the last three years at all. I find that fascinating. So one might logically conclude from that that kind of the shut out of due to COVID, right, of foreign investors would have the home ownership rate overall increase for Americans. Did that actually happen? Regrettably, no. Orange County has been fighting against the bifurcation of our economy. The wealth gap is real and it's widening. It was widening a little bit less so during COVID because interest rates were so low that some people found they could buy a house and have effectively the same payment they would have if they rented. So a few more people entered the market and became homeowners, but it didn't dramatically increase our rate of homeownership. And now that we're getting out of COVID or at least the panic that is COVID and into higher interest rates, my expectation is that homeownership rates are going to continue to lag and the wealth gap is going to continue to widen. And that's going to be the biggest challenge to our local economy for decades. Oh, wow. For luxury homes, which is a more global market, does the political climate play a role in marketing veracity? I have not yet seen that there's an impact from the political environment or tastes, if you will, not specifically against my company. What I have seen is that politics has driven some people out of California into more Republican states. But the interesting thing is that Orange County tends to lean Republican anyway. So there seems to be a zero-sum game in terms of impact on me and my business. But bear in mind, I'm very very cognizant to remain nonpartisan. And I'm very careful to keep all my conversations along those lines because my team and I want to be very respectful of everyone's opinions. We don't have to agree with everyone, but everyone who comes to us for service needs to feel like the lines of communication are very open. There's a lot of trust there and that they can really listen to us and yet let us be the advisors that we need to be for them. Excellent. Excellent. You know, I noticed on your LinkedIn page that you have a post telling people not to hold their breath, waiting for a wave of foreclosures now that the market is slowing down. Can you discuss that a little? Absolutely. Uh, Sometime I'll have to send you my podcast when I had Rick Sharga from Realty Trap talk with me. And I'm blessed. He's a very dear friend of mine I've known for a very long time. And he's one of the chief executives at Realty Track which is the world-renowned aggregator and reporter of foreclosure data. So they are the go-to source of foreclosure information. And a few months ago when I had him on my show and I said, so, you know, is there a wave of foreclosures coming? And do you see that manifesting in the market? Blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me and said, no, what else do you want to talk about? (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) I'd love to turn the conversation to real estate as an investment. So in prior podcasts, we discussed homeownership with younger professional women who are purchasing real estate on their own prior to marriage so that they'll have their own property and a sole investment for themselves. What are you seeing among single women, especially as it relates to first-time homebuyers? This is a many-splendored question. And 
absolutely one of my favorite things. So let me parse it out a little bit. First of all, I've helped many men and women and young couples make their first purchases. And that's by and far my favorite thing ever. It absolutely is. Interestingly, most of my first timers have just coincidentally been women. I didn't target them or go after them. And perhaps it's because I am myself a woman. It's just naturally followed. But some of the things that I'm seeing, there are differences in terms of gender um, as far as the decisions that they make and how they make them. And the women seem to have a little bit more vision and the ability to see beyond property issues of condition or age or paint color, as long as the location is good and potentially the schools for all the things we discussed before. So they tend to be a little bit easier for me to work with and a little bit easier for me to coach and advise, although there have been some young men who have just been a pleasure to work with. But in all cases across the board, I have to say that young people today are acutely aware that that salt tax cap of $10,000, which is the state and local tax cap, meaning that on your federal income tax, you can only write off up to $10,000. And this includes state income tax that you've paid and your property taxes. And in high cost areas like this one, that really, really, really ties your hands if your first real estate investment is the home you're going to live in. Because you can't write off nearly as much as you used to. So this has changed the perspective for a lot of these first-time buyers who would normally have bought a condo or a small home to occupy themselves. And a far larger percent of them are now saying, wait a minute, I'm going to buy my first property as a rental. Because now that this is a rental property, I can form an LLC, I can make this a side hustle, and I can write off everything related to the ownership of this property, which allows them to save more of their money in terms of their regular income to better save to make the next purchase something they might live in. So it really turned things upside down. Oh, that's fascinating. That goes into like these short-term rentals like Airbnbs. I was kind of curious if you know that that's really what they're doing is that they're buying these smaller condos and turning them into Airbnbs. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, <laughs> what I can tell you is this. Something that I tell my first timers is, let's look at some markets that you might not have otherwise considered for purposes similar to what you're describing. And one of my favorite topics lately with these people is, let's look at Long Beach. Long Beach is one of those often blighted areas. People look down their nose at it. It's in between LA and Orange Counties. It is in Southern LA County, and it's also coastal. It tends to be far more affordable. You could get a one or a two bedroom condo in a downtown, very walkable, urbane area, still in the three to 400,000 range, which is unheard of anywhere else. But what people aren't talking about, and my clients are hearing from me, is that the 2028 Summer Olympics, which are in, quote, Los Angeles, end quote, half of the games are going to be in Long Beach. Long Beach is rebuilding its downtown core and building all of these wonderful professional athletic facilities for the Olympic Games. Who wouldn't want to buy a rental property there in advance of 2028? It's just a smart thing to do. Yeah. Oh, excellent. That's excellent advice, Wendy. So for women who are looking to have a real estate investment portfolio, how do they get started? So number one, absolutely learn the different aspects of a real estate transaction. We need to sit down and run through what are the costs to buy property? What are the costs to hold a property? How long do they intend to hold it and why? The importance of having a plan in advance for when to sell, if ever. So for example, they need to know if they're buying a property and their goal is to build a portfolio of rentals, how they approach that and how we negotiate the terms and structure the purchase is different than if they're going to buy it and hold it for a few years and then resell it. Number two, 
they really need to know state laws impacting landlords. And I can't overstate, California is very tenant friendly. So if someone is going to buy an investment property and intending to be a landlord, they really need to understand what they're getting into. And different communities such as Santa Monica are going to have very different rent control issues than areas such as Long Beach. Number three, they absolutely must buy property they can afford even if things get rough. So worst case, if it's going to be a rental, can they live there if things get weird? Or can they move in with family and keep that rental income coming? I haven't yet had a first time or regret their decision because they worked so hard with me to be well-informed and they knew exactly what they were doing when they made their first purchase. Terrific. Those are really great tips. What would be the three top questions women need to ask themselves when buying a home to live in versus buying an investment property? What's the mindset difference? You know, and I hate to stereotype, but I'm going to for a minute. Every young person, usually women that I help buy a property, first thing that we talk about is safety. You've got to be safe. You've got to be somewhere where your safety is not compromised. And usually people who are getting started are buying a property that's not in their ideal target neighborhood. Sometimes they're lucky and they're affluent, but most often they're not. So the first thing we take a look at is, is this safe? And if this community is one that's sort of borderline, is the particular property we're looking at potentially buying for you well lit? Is it in a community with a great neighborhood watch? Is it ideally down the street from a police station? That type of thing. So number one, look out for your safety. And number two, again, back to my last answer, is this something that if you buy it, you have an escape plan? Is this something that you can still pay the bills if something happens to your income for some reason? Or is this a property that is so desirable, it would be really easy to resell if you find yourself in trouble? So what's your plan B if you have to have a plan B? And the third piece of advice that I give everyone, man, woman, dog, child, I don't care, get yourself a trust. You have no business buying real property and not having a trust, period, end of story, get a trust. And why would that be? Why would people need a trust? People don't understand that even if you have a will, if something happens, Lord forbid, and you die, you're still going to go into probate, even with a will. The state of California is going to take that property and they're going to start a probate and your heirs or whomever your beneficiaries are, are going to have to deal with probate courts and paying attorneys and whatnot, whether or not you intended that. But if you leave the property in a well-written trust, you can avoid all of that. And who doesn't want to leave their loved ones, whatever they're going to leave them, without the heartache of having to go to court for six or 12 months? Yeah, that is a really, really good point. What are the key tips that you would give women who are looking to purchase a home to live in? Ah, well, I tell everyone the same thing. If you're buying a home to live in it, do not ignore that you may have a change in life plans. So if you're buying a home to live in, of course you have to love it, you have to feel safe in it, but is this a property that you could dispense with easily if your life plan changed? Or is this a property you could easily put a tenant into if your life plan changed? And also, if you're a single person and you've bought property and our life plans changed, trust me, no one knows more than I do, you might wanna consider putting it into a trust before you find someone you fall madly in love with, because sometimes our Judgment gets clouded when we find that Mr. Someone spectacular. That, again, great advice. Um, is there any additional advice or tips that you would give uh, women or maybe men and women when it comes to home ownership in general? We cannot overstate the importance of one's neighbors. 
And by that, I mean, if you have common walls with your neighbors, before you close escrow on that house, I'm going to make you sit and read every single one of the HOA meeting minutes notes so you can see what the neighbors are complaining about. Brilliant. Bad neighbors are really hard to get rid of. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I think that's excellent advice. Thank you so much. This has really been enlightening and really enjoyable. You've given us some really great advice and things to think about, and you've really offered a unique perspective for our audience. I really appreciate it. I couldn't be more delighted. Thank you so much for having me. Wendy also hosts a weekly podcast called This Week with Wendy. So be sure to check that out. Her website is realveracity.com. So thank you all for listening to the Single Lady Estates podcast. We invite everyone to join the conversation by joining our community at singleladyestates.com. Connect and engage and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. 